Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Dr. St. John, thank you very much for coming on the program. It's been a while since we spoke. Um, can I just begin with this? What's the role of the Center for Emergency Preparedness and Response? What's the job they do? Uh, the Center was established in the year 2000, and in, in part it was to bring together various pieces of emergency response that were scattered throughout Health Canada into one single unit so that there could be a, a strong integration of, uh, of planning and response when there was a, uh, an emergency of any kind that affected the health of the public, like uh, natural disasters, uh, the use of the national emergency stockpile system, uh, early warning systems, and things like that. So the whole idea was to create a place where you could prepare, uh, and that means planning and training and simulation exercises, and then have a response that you could mobilize quickly uh, for, <coughs> excuse me, for any public health emergency. What did you do? Let's look at a couple of fairly recent public health emergencies, SARS, and then in 09, I think it was, we had the H1N1 pandemic, and I've heard that we dodged a bullet internationally with that one, but uh, what was the center doing during SARS? Well, in 03, uh, that was the SARS, uh, first SARS uh, epidemic that heavily affected Toronto. Uh, what we do is we mobilize uh, the center, uh, and that means we use something called the in, in, uh, incident management system. We set up teams of people to deal with things like uh, the biology, epidemiology, laboratory science, and then we have logistics as necessary, and then we have finance. So because in an emergency, you always need to spend some money. So you mobilize, and we had an emergency operations center uh, that we used as an information hub to gather information from the provinces and share information with the provinces as the situation developed. How concerned are you professionally, personally, about the position we're in, the time we're in, the stage we're in with COVID-19? Right now, uh, it's going the wrong way uh, all over the place. Um, I mean, don't even ask about Europe and, and the U.K. and so forth, but right, even right here in Canada, things are going the wrong way. Uh, we have records being set for the number of new cases per day uh, in several parts of the country. So w things are not going well uh, at the present time. And uh, I'm, worried, I'm worried that when you start to balance the economic pain against the public health measures, that sometimes people try to alleviate, alleviate the economic pain maybe too soon. And, and the virus is just waiting, hovering. It will take advantage of any crack that you give it uh, to reestablish itself. So, yeah, I'm concerned. What's going on now inside your former division at Public Health Canada? Uh, that's hard for me to say. I'm retired uh, and have been retired for some time. Um, uh, there are the only problem I'm aware of is what's been reported in the media about 
something called the Global Public Health Intelligence Network, or GFIN, which was the early warning system that was established in the center. This, 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 this um, system looked at the world, and it was designed to detect outbreaks of infectious disease all over the world that might have an impact on Canada. Um, and uh, there have been some criticism in the newspaper um, about the fact that uh, GFIN had been, its mission had been derailed inside the Public Health Agency of Canada, and it did not um, perform its early warning for COVID-19 as, uh, as one had, might hope. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that as well. I've talked about it on the air, and it's a significant point to pursue because we do require and we do uh, rely on Public Health Canada and messaging, messaging in order to persuade people, I think, has to be consistent. And uh, we're, you know, you're, you and I are both aware there's pushback. I think some of that has to do with the psychological impact of where we've been, and we don't want to go back there, so some of that is part of it. Um, let me ask you this. Is there international cooperation when it comes to... Uh, uh, battling uh, this this pandemic, or is it? Does it turn out to be just a food fight? Every country for itself. Well, it, it's a little bit of both, uh, Roy. The uh, the um, at the high level in the World Health Organization, uh, they have been producing guidelines for countries to follow. Um, however, um, this thing has moved very fast and. Unfortunately, many countries have decided to do their own thing, uh, and some impose quarantines on arriving passengers, and some say you have to have tests before you can arrive, and and uh, they set up certain criteria for you know, some countries are allowed to come to come to the country, and some countries are not. So it's been a hodgepodge uh, from that point of view all over the world, which is unfortunate because if if there was unanimity in approach we might not be having quite the impact on international travel and business that we're having. What are your thoughts about uh, our airports being open to commercial passenger flights? Well, I think, I think that the um, important thing is to be able to uh, have some measures to follow up when passengers arrive. And, and I'm speaking mostly in these days of quarantine. Um, Passengers have got to understand that even if they have a test before they get on the plane, it doesn't mean, and it's negative, it doesn't mean that they not, are not in the early stages of incubating the disease, and it doesn't mean that they won't come down with the disease uh, several days later. So arriving passengers should go into e either self-imposed or government-imposed quarantine uh, for about 14 days after arrival. Should, the, should this kind of travel, this kind of arrival in Canada, since our land borders are closed, should that also be curtailed? Well, I think the, it's pretty difficult to shut down everything um, and not allow a certain amount of traffic to take place. There are some essential economic reasons for that. But, um, again, I would argue that uh, there, is, there are some measures that one can take to minimize the importation of disease, of the importation of COVID-19. And most of it has to do with quarantine. If people are in quarantine for 14 days and they are in the early stages of an infection when they, when they arrive, that infection will show up during quarantine and they won't be in contact with other people to spread it. 
Dr. St. John, I can't let you go without asking you for a best-case scenario. We're looking where we are now, where we've been, what the numbers are. What's the best-case scenario that we could hope for? Well, until we have an effective vaccine, and until that vaccine can be effectively distributed to the population, starting with the high-risk groups first, until we have all that in place, then uh, we need to... We need to look at the fundamental way of stopping this disease, and that is to have the minimum number of contacts between people possible. Uh, and that means uh, some severe restrictions on people's movement and, and, and the number of people they come in contact with. What concerns me is that, is that uh, w- if we impose a, a very heavy uh, curtailment of people's activities, then it's going to have economic pain. And because uh, there's not a whole lot of tolerance for that, then you lighten up. And then you get into a cycle of lightening up the measures and then having to reimpose them and lightening up and then reimpose them. I think, I think the, uh, at this point in time, serious consideration should be given to some serious public health measures. Uh, by that, I mean closing down a lot of uh, our economy and people's movements uh, for a period of time. You know, it took the Australians 111 days of severe restrictions to get down to zero cases. But there are zero cases. Um, It does work, but it is painful. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 